welcome uh, to Ethos Church. Uh, if you might have noticed coming in, there was, might have been a piece of paper on your chair that looks like a calendar, because it is a calendar. Um, if you're sitting towards the back on this side, you might have not gotten one, um, but there should be some. I ran out. We didn't have enough. So there's some, if you have an extra one next to you, maybe hold it up and pass it to the aisle so someone behind you can grab one uh, if needed. So hold on to those. We're going to use those in a little bit. If you're uh, familiar, if you've been around this church family for like a year plus, you've probably seen a calendar in your seat before. This is not uh, something new, but something that we do semi-regularly. But before we uh, grab those calendars and really get going into that, uh, I'm going to give us a little story, and then we're going to get into a little Bible, and then we're going to look at those calendars. Sound like a plan? Sweet. All right. Let's go. All right. So first, a little story. So growing up, I loved playing video games with my friends. Uh, My first gaming console that I personally owned was a Nintendo GameCube. Um, And me and my friends, we spent countless hours playing Super Smash Brothers, Melee, of course, and Mario Kart, Double Dash, and of course, The Legend of Zelda. Uh, The Legend of Zelda was my true love as a middle school boy who loved all things fantasy. And then freshman year, um, this new game came out uh, called Skyrim. And this was anything and everything that 15-year-old me could have ever dreamed of. Uh, It was kind of like Zelda, like fantasy world kind of game, but not on railroad tracks where you were confined to going basically through one thing. You could go anywhere, do pretty much anything, be whoever you wanted to be within this gaming world. It was this new concept to me called an open world game. It's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but in a video game Uh, setting, which is something, again, that 15-year-old me could not have dreamed up a better concept. Uh, But there was just one problem. Being a big Nintendo boy, I did not have a console or a computer strong enough at my disposal to run a game like Skyrim. So I played at every opportunity I could at my friends' houses who had access to this game, or at my cousin's house where I would literally stay up all night long just logging in hours into this game. Uh, But eventually, when I graduated high school, my parents, uh, as my graduation gift, got me a MacBook Air. And 18-year-old me, knowing nothing about computers, thought, surely, I can figure out a way to run Skyrim on this. So uh, the night that I got that uh, MacBook Air, I downloaded this online gaming service called Steam, uh, and then spent hours downloading Skyrim. It took hours to download a game that size onto this little computer. But finally, I could technically play Skyrim. I had to turn all of the graphic settings down to like the lowest possible setting. And sure, I had to keep the charger hooked up the entire time so it didn't die after just 15 minutes, but I was able to play Skyrim. Um, And I ended up logging hundreds of hours into this game. Uh, Steam keeps track of the number of hours that you spend in any given game, and I kid you not, 
multiple hundreds of hours as a post high school kid. Yeah, okay. Um, but something happened later that fall. As I, as I logged hundreds of hours into this game, confession, here you go. Um, fall rolled around, the month of October rolled around, and people started decorating their yards for Halloween. And as I was driving around, going to like, you know, meet my friends at Chick-fil-A or something, I would see giant spider web decorations in people's front yard. And when I saw that, my mind didn't go, oh, Halloween, like trick-or-treating. My mind went to the giant spider that I killed the other night in Bleak Falls Barrow. Or um, I would see skeletons in people's yards decorated for Halloween, and my mind didn't go to candy. My mind went to any number of skeletons in any number of dungeons across the magical fantasy world of Skyrim. Uh, this last week, last Monday, I just finished teaching a grow class uh, for our church, and one of the key concepts that we talked about in this grow class was the concept that you are always being formed. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not conscious of it, you are being formed in shape in some way. And as I logged hundreds of hours into this game, it began to become the filter through which I was seeing the world. And where I spent my time, I realized, was actually doing something to me. It was doing something to my mind and to my heart also. I would find myself sitting in college classes later that year and just thinking about Skyrim. And this is kind of a silly example, but, uh, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, video games are evil necessarily, uh, but I think it speaks to something about the human condition. Formation happens, we're all being formed, like I mentioned earlier, and formation happens through several different avenues. Formation happens through the stories we believe, relationships that we have, the habits that make up our life, as well as our time and our calendar. And that's where we're gonna focus today is kind of in our time and calendar and what habits inhabit our time and calendar. But before we get to those practicals and the calendar there before you, uh, before we get to the what, which I'm all for, I love practicals and actually walking out what we believe and think, I want to start with why. Because I could sit here and tell you to go do something and that it's important, but unless you know why and you actually buy in and believe that, you're not going to do it and it's not going to be helpful at all. So, if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, if you can turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to uh, be camping out in today in just a few verses there. So, um, Ephesians, just to give us a little context, is a, Paul, or is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, um, but was also probably meant not only for the church in Ephesus, but to then also be circulated throughout the surrounding church communities. Um, and this letter was written not to an individual, but to an entire church setting, to a group of people. Uh, so if you're in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. What? 
Does anyone else kind of have that reaction to what we just read there? It's like tracking with you, tracking with you, tracking with you, because the days are evil, and you're just like, what? It's like, so if we go back through, look, look carefully then how you walk. Okay, cool. Not as unwise, but as wise. Great, all for wisdom, seems good to me. Making the best use of the time. Sure, yeah, good time management, carpe diem, all of that stuff, because the days are evil. What? Uh, Paul, the author of this letter, to our modern ears saying this thing almost sounds too casual about what he just said, stating that the days that we inhabit are evil. See, Paul is operating out of an underlying assumption of how the world works. And this is an assumption that we don't relate to as late modern Western post-enlightenment people uh, in America today. Or maybe we do understand it in theory, but it's still so foreign to us that it's hard to buy into, even for those of us who maybe grew up in a church setting or a more spiritual setting, it sometimes can still be hard to really buy into Paul's worldview. So what is that worldview? So Paul, uh, to give us a little snapshot, a couple chapters earlier, at the beginning of chapter two in Ephesians, gives us a little snapshot of what that worldview is that he is operating out of. In Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one, he says, and you and y'all, the church at Ephesus, were dead dead in your trespasses and sins in which y'all once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh. So Paul's assumed worldview is that there are other powers in this world, that there are forces both heavenly and earthly. There are forces divine and human spiritual and political at work in this world that are counter to God. In his latest book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer uh, says this, he says, for centuries, teachers of the way of Jesus used a paradigm that's been lost in our modern era, that of the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they saw the three enemies of the soul as alien invaders from hell and a kind of counter-trinity to God himself. This is what we see outlined here by Paul in Ephesians 2. And Paul goes on in this chapter to say that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, though we were enslaved to the powers of the world, the flesh, and the devil, that God, being rich in his mercy and because of his great love for us, has made us alive in Christ. We who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, and through the Spirit, we now have access to the Father. So enslavement to the powers is the assumed human condition apart from Jesus. 
And that's Paul's stated worldview that we're looking at here when he states the days are evil. And Paul is not alone in this worldview. You see it across the entire library of the New Testament scriptures. The other authors are with this, as is Jesus even. In John's gospel, Jesus says, now is the judgment of the world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to myself. Three times in the gospels, Jesus refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. So this is Jesus, Paul, Peter, John. This is the worldview that they are working out of. That this world is occupied by enemies who are opposed to God and in active rebellion against him. So let's jump back to our text, Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So now we've established what Paul means by the days are evil. We've got that under establishment. So what then does he mean by make the best use of here? The, what is translated in our Bibles as like make the best use of in reference to our time is a Greek word, uh, ex agorazo. Can you guys say that one? Sweet. Uh, so at its most basic, this word means to redeem or more literally to purchase out of the hand of someone, to ransom or to rescue from loss. The root of this word, if you can kind of see, after X where it says agora, that is the Greek word for like the town square and marketplace. And X being the prefix means out of. So out of the marketplace. The picture here that Paul is painting is of a slave being purchased out of the slave market. And what I think Paul is getting at is he's saying something like, friends, you have been purchased out of the slave market. And why do you continue to waste your time under that old master? Why do you continue to sit in that cell? The door is open. That ruler has been disarmed. Come on out into the light. As Paul mentioned earlier in my brief summary of chapter two, you've been bought with the blood of Christ. You have been redeemed. You have been ex agorazo. And Paul is asking, why do you spend your time as a captive, though you are free? As you have been liberated, so you can liberate your time. Make the best use of your time, for the days are evil. And then Paul continues on in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, and says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This, I feel like, is kind of the climax of the few verses that we're looking at. This is the hinge piece, the puzzle piece that when you put it in place is going to bring us back to our calendars, really. 
See, what Paul is doing here, this is not simply a command to not drink too much wine, though surely that is also there. But Paul is also trying to get at something far deeper than just telling you to, you know, cool it on the bottle. He is, what Paul is getting at here, he's contrasting drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit as he's been contrasting unwise versus wise, foolish and discerning the will of the Lord, he's contrasting drunkenness to being filled with the Spirit. Not comparing necessarily to show how they are similar, but contrasting to show how they differ. Wine here, I believe, is Paul's symbol for influence of the powers that he is speaking of in this letter. Wine is a symbol of influence to the powers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Wine uh, and strong drink, they have this effect on our mind. They influence us in ways and cause us to do things that we wouldn't necessarily otherwise do. There's a reason why when someone is intoxicated, we say they were under the influence And Paul is saying here in the same way, be careful not to be under the influence of the powers and of the flesh, but instead be influenced by the spirit of God. And you will find, yeah, be influenced by the spirit of God, or you will find yourself enslaved to the powers and your own fleshly desires. Uh, Teacher Tim Mackey on a teaching on this text, he said, the assumption here from Paul is that if you do not resist the powers, you will be molded in their likeness, so you actively submit yourself to another kind of influence. Again, looping us back, influence, formation, calendar. You are always subject to influence. You're always being formed. And there honestly is not really any neutral ground. And the things that you do, the hundreds of hours spent playing Skyrim, do something to you. They affect you. They get into your heart and your mind. And we live in a world that is so good at telling us what to do, who to be, and how it wants us to look, and how it wants us to be formed. And unfortunately, the world and our own flesh and the devil want us to be deformed away from the image of Christ. I think this is what Paul is also kind of getting at in one of his most famous passages in Romans when he says, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The idea is the same here. It's, it's one or it's the other. Conform or be transformed. Be filled with the wine of the, and the influence of the powers or be influenced by the Holy Spirit. And although we are always under the influence As Josh reminded us last week, as he opened up our service, he said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because being submitted to the influence of the Holy Spirit looks a whole lot more like freedom than it does enslavement. And that's because it is true freedom. We have, in our cultural context, kind of 
changed the definition of freedom from its classical definition. The classical definition of freedom is freedom from oppression, where we have flipped that and said, no, freedom is the freedom to do whatever the heck I want. And that is the exact opposite when you really get down to, when you let yourself live into freedom to do whatever the heck you want, oftentimes you're submitting yourself to enslavement, to the powers. So the question then is how do we lean in and subject ourselves to the influence of the Holy Spirit? How do we actually go about this? I believe the most simple answer is engaging in spiritual disciplines or practices. And if that language is too stiff and stuffy for you, more simply put, it's carving out time for God and creating rhythms and habits in our lives that help us to connect with God and abide in his presence as we walk continually. And before you get anxious about me sitting up here telling you you need to add something else to your calendar that you're gonna need to like put in more time or whatever, add another list to your already busy life, I think for most of us, this is gonna look a lot more like doing less than doing more. For most of us, when we actually are gonna sit down and look at our calendars, maybe not all of us, but for most of us, we'll probably see that we are over busy or over committed. And believe me, guilty as charged, especially like the last month, I have been far over committed. So there's no condemnation here. This is an invitation. And I believe that's Paul's heart posture as well. But Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life. And that is a teaching to dig into another time. But what I want you to take away is this, that we all probably need to slow down and create more space for the spirit to actually influence our lives. There's uh, another teacher I was listening to this week um, who I had already chosen this text and was also teaching on Ephesians, not this text, but whatever. Um, another teacher I was listening to said, in order for us to go after him, we will have to make room for him and lean into building up our faith muscles, which means there are probably things that we will have to let go of. And I think this is true. We will have to let go of some things to receive more of him. You can only hold so much in your hand at one time. Sure, sinful things, yes, but maybe also just things that are lesser. Things that we allow to get in the way of God, even if they're not inherently sinful, evil, or immoral. This teacher went on to testify that God recently asked them to give up one of these lesser things, something that honestly to many of us would probably sound a little silly, but it was something that was captivating their hearts and holding them back from receiving more of God, even though it's a totally fine thing. But since leaning in and giving up that thing, they testify that they have heard the voice of God more clearly and have seen him move in new ways in the short time that they have created more space for him. You see, teachers throughout church history have kind of given a few images about the voice of God. 
There's the pebble in the pond and the feather against the skin. So the pebble in the pond, if you, they compared the voice of God to throwing a pebble or a rock into a body of water. And if you throw that rock into tumultuous waters that are churning everywhere, you're not gonna see any ripples from that rock that you throw in. But if you find a calm, cool, still pool, the surface, the surface of the water almost like glass, as you toss in a pebble, you will see every ripple of that splash clearly. Or the feather up against our skin, that there's this feather kind of up against our skin, gently touching us. And as we go about in our hurried, busy, frenzy state, you're never gonna notice the gentle touch of that feather against your skin. And it's only when you actually slow down and sit still that you will begin to notice that gentle touch up against your skin. We have to slow down and create space. Before we move on, we're about to get to our calendars and actually run through this exercise real quick, but before we moved on, move on, uh, two kind of notes. One, the, in this passage where Paul says, be filled by the Spirit, that's actually, uh, that word is in a Greek tense that we don't really have in the English. It's a kind of present participle that more has the idea of be being filled by the Spirit a little bit of this continual uh, leaning in and being filled. Salvation, saying yes, is only the starting line. There is a long race ahead. And baptism, this beautiful wedding ceremony, if you will, of entering into relationship and life with Jesus is only the beginning. There is still a long road ahead in the lifelong commitment and relationship. When Taylor and I said yes at the altar four years ago, that was a beautiful, glorious moment. We had a great party, but we continue to carve out time and do life together every day for the last four years. Um, Paul isn't speaking of just a one-time event here when he says, be filled by the Spirit. It's this continual invitation of saying yes over and over to more and more, of leaning in and learning a holistic way of doing life in relationship with God. Um, so calendars, the second note I have for you. As we work through this exercise, um, and I think it's helpful to keep in mind, especially with these lesser things like I mentioned, Perhaps there might be a question, just keep this at the forefront of your mind, not necessarily of, is this wrong? Is this sinful? Is this good or bad? Or, you know, it's, it can be easy to ask, you know, is this right or wrong? Is this show good or bad? How far is too far? But really, I think the question we should more be asking is, who am I becoming by engaging in this? What is this doing to me? So with that in mind, you guys can go ahead and pull out your calendars, and we're going to run through an exercise with a few prompts to help us think through our calendars and how we can redeem the time, live more fully influenced by the Spirit, and be filled by the Spirit. Um, Luke, you can go ahead and throw some music on. The first prompt, we're going to leave the most space for here. 
so prompt number one, as we move in, um, I'm actually going to start us with prayer before we move into this prompt. And um, continue to pray as we move through this exercise. Don't just engage in your mind, but also have conversation with the Spirit. Have conversation with God. Ask these questions with Him. So, Lord, we love you. Would you help guide and lead and facilitate this time over the next few minutes as we examine our calendars? And would you speak to us, Lord, of where you might be calling us deeper, where you might be calling us into more? And would you help us to say yes to that, Lord? We ask for your voice. We want more of you, Lord. Amen. All right, so number one, first prompt. Again, this is gonna, I'll have a timer going, so don't worry about time, but take a few minutes to map out the general structure of your week on one of the sides of this calendar. Um, so start with your big rocks, things like work and sleep and things that take up big chunks of time, but also big rocks don't necessarily have to be big chunks of time. They could just be really heavy, even if they're smaller chunks of time. So map out your big rocks and then add in your medium-sized rocks and smaller rocks from there. And be honest, you're not turning this in for a grade. No one's going to be looking over this. This is a tool for you guys to just kind of self-evaluate and examine, um, you know, what does a general week look like for yourself? Be honest. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you guys a few minutes and then I'll lead us through some more prompts here in a little bit. All right, so number two, in the margins of this calendar here off to the side or somewhere where you have space, uh, write down a list of your most important things, your MITs. So, you know, probably number one is God, family, relationships, the things that are most important to you. Just write out a quick list of three, five most important things in life that... Uh, you want space and time for and need space and time for. All right, with those kind of established there in the margins, just ask yourself the question, does your calendar, the way you wrote it out, align with your most important things? Does it provide space to maintain a healthy relationship with God? Again, this is not... No one's going to see this, whatever. This is for you. Um, just sit, ask yourself that question for a minute. All right, and then, real quickly, um, on your calendar, what rhythms and habits do you like need to maintain? So like work, kind of immovable. Sleep, you kind of need to sleep in order to live. So like what things are immovable and just like circle those, embolden those, make a little mark of that those are kind of immovable rocks in some way.
the next few, um, definitely continue to lean into prayer as we ask the next few prompts. Um, number four, uh, no, sorry, number five. Uh, what rhythms and habits can I use to maximize my relationship with God? So is it, would it be morning prayer, using small pockets of idle time throughout the day, uh, your commute time, rest? How can you use those moments or th- practices or habits like that to maximize your relationship with God? Six, do I have margin in my life? Do I need to remove any rocks, any, thing, any itinerary items, any rocks to allow space for God and any other most important things? And just make quick edits on this current calendar. There's another calendar on the back this week that you can write out a dream calendar as you look over these edits and amendments. Do you have enough margin? finally, take some time and pray, but what is one practice, discipline, rhythm, habit that you feel the Spirit calling you to step deeper into? And then my charge to you is to make that a big immovable rock and write it in your schedule and make that a priority. So take some time pray over that. Worship team, you guys can come up and we'll uh, move forward to communion here in just a minute. There might be something jumping out at you. There might not be, and that's okay. Sometimes discernment is a process that you'll be doing laundry later this week, and it might hit you, what you feel the Spirit leading you into. So it's okay. There is no pressure 
to feel like you have to have an answer here right now. Um, so there are communion bowls. Every other chair on the center aisle has a bowl with little communion rip and sips, as Joshua calls them. Uh, so you can grab those and pass them down and around so that everyone gets them.